Special effects. It's become a big part of the summer blockbuster genre. Just ask Jerry Bruckheimer. He makes plenty of money from them. Special effects make visually stunning things happen right in front of our eyes. They make explosions. They make fantastic creatures, otherworldly locations, and they can bring to life landscapes from another age. They reconstruct buildings and cities. We use camera tricks and movie magic, digital effects to bring these things onto the screen. And the summer season is when the big budget, big screen, big effects movies hit. We simply don't have the power to do these things, to make them happen in reality. They are beyond us and beyond the natural. They are, by definition, supernatural. And that's our God as well. Part of the reason for this summer series is to reacquaint you or to acquaint you with the God that we talk about, that we choose to remember what He has revealed about Himself in the past. And what is He like? What, what does He do what, what can we know about him? Can we trust him? I want you to know him better. I want you to be encouraged by him. I want you to be in awe of him and to grow in your love for him and in your desire to honor him with your whole life. So let's keep at it today. First Kings 18, above everything else in our lives, God wants to have all of our hearts, our, our worship, all of our focus, all of our adoration. God wants to be number one and to have all of our hearts, and that's in our best interest as well. The very first of the Ten Commandments, commandment number one says, you shall, God says to us, you shall have no other gods before me. When, when Jesus was on earth, when he was questioned, what's, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Jesus said, above all else, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. God wants all of our hearts, not just part of our hearts. Split hearts hurt us. And that gives good reason. If you're Satan, if you're the spiritual enemy, what would you try to do to hurt God? I mean, you can't hurt God. You can hurt what He loves. So if, if I was Satan, I would try to take the hearts of the people away from the one true God and to get them distracted, get them to worship something else, to serve false gods. And Satan has been doing this throughout history, uh, putting false gods in, in the place of the one true God, constantly putting these in front of us. It's the sin of a, idolatry. Here's a key thought for today. False gods promise what only the true God provides. For example, for us in our world, money is a pretty popular false god. Maybe we call it prosperity. What, what, what does money do? What's our relationship to it? Well, money promises what only God can provide. That's why we want it. Money says if you have enough money, you'll be happy. You'll be secure. And that's why what many people believe about the false God of money. But the reality is, once you get enough money, and, and, and someone says to you, oh, you have cancer. You've got 30 days. That's all you've got left. You realize that the money doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't make you secure. That was a false promise. Money says if you, if you have enough, you'll be happy. You, you'll be happy. But it doesn't matter how much money you have if one day you find that you've lost one of your children. There's, there's no amount of money that can buy your happiness in that moment. It's a false promise. 
It's a false God. It promises something that it does not provide, that it cannot provide. Now, during the life and times of the prophet Elijah, many people were living idolatrous lives. They were worshiping and serving false gods. Elijah was called by God to confront a very evil ruler named King Ahab, and he was married to a wicked, wicked woman named Jezebel. Just one more name agreed upon throughout history that you will not name your daughter. When you go to the store that sells personalized mugs, you are not going to see the name Jezebel there. She will never be one of the Disney princesses. Okay. Ahab was the 19th consecutive evil king. It's recorded of him that he did more evil in the eyes of God than anyone before him. So he was the worst of the worst. And all of his long, after all the, the whole long list of sins and wickedness, the worst thing that he did was that he continued turning the hearts of the people away from the one true God and toward the false gods of Baal and Asherah. Baal was the god of thunder or the fire god. Asherah was kind of like Baal's wife, I guess, and the people were no longer worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Instead, they were worshiping these false gods. The false gods promised them, if you worship me, we're going to make your crops grow. All right? If you're having problems with crops, you talk to me. If you worship me, then you're going to get a better life. I'm going to take care of that for you. False gods promise what only the true God provides. So God raises up Elijah, who confronts the king and basically says, King, because of your idolatry, God sent me to tell you it's not going to rain until God tells me to pray and asks for it to rain. So there is a major drought. Tons of people are dying. It's famine. It's the worst thing you could imagine. And so God sends Elijah into a period of hiding and preparation. Why? Because King Ahab wants him dead. So he said to everybody, you find him. You just kill him on the spot. You don't need my permission. I'm giving it. And so God takes Elijah to a place uh, called the Kareth uh, Ravine. Kareth means the place of cutting, uh, cutting down. It's a place of humbling where God humbled him, developed him into an even stronger man of God. And the focus was to grow his faith. Because he survived. He only survived through God's provision every day. God fed him morning and evening by ravens who flew in, dropped bread, dropped meat, and then he was to drink from the brook. One day, the brook dried up. God calls him to move on, goes to a place called Zarephath, where there was a widow who would be waiting for him. And God used her to provide for him just with just a little bit of oil, and a little bit of flour that miraculously never ran dry. Stays there. One day, the widow's son dies. This growing man of faith takes the son upstairs into the upper room, calls out to God, and God raised that boy from the dead. And as we see the prophet developing into the man of God that God wants him to become, it was step by step. Next, we find out that God wants him to go back and confront the king, the evil king. And here's the story. That's where we're going to jump in. So we're about three years into the drought now. We're in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting at verse 17. We see them together. When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? The Hebrew word that's translated as troubler 
kind of a hard word to say, can also be translated as snake or viper or asp. Uh, hey, you good, no good, low-down, dirty snake. It's all your fault. Everything's going wrong is all because of you, Elijah. All these people are dying with this huge drought because of you, Elijah. It's all on you. And Elijah says, I'm not taking any of that from you. So he pops back toward the king, verse 18, and he says, no, 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 no. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you, you and your family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands, and you have followed the Baals. You have been, you are right now. You continue to commit the sin of idolatry, and you are, you are leading, you're pulling God's people into it with you. You are putting false gods ahead of the one true God. Elijah was confronting the very popular idea that there are many gods. Now, for free today, I'm going to give you a couple of fancy words that are designed to dazzle, so be dazzled. You may know these words, you may not, but here they are. The first one is monotheism, and the second one is polytheism. What's monotheism? It's the belief that there is one God. As Christians, we are monotheistic in our beliefs. Polytheistic, though, is the belief that there are multiple gods. And Elijah was confronting a very polytheistic culture where they would worship multiple gods. Now, those of you who are Christians, you would say, well, we are monotheistic. We believe in one true God. But even though we believe in one true God, Many of us practice, we live polytheistic lives. We believe in God, but in reality, we worship and serve many false gods. Most people I know aren't worshiping the false gods of Baal and Asherah, not anymore. The false gods today that people worship and serve are a little bit more socially acceptable, and they run a little bit more under the radar. So let's be honest, okay? Lots of people worship the false god of money. They think it makes them safe. Or people worship the false god of stuff, material possessions, your house, your car. Maybe it's your image. Maybe it's your personal brand. You know, your look. It could be your favorite sport. It could be your career. It could be your hobby. Oddly enough, it could even be your children. How in the world could our children be a false god? When you elevate anything, into the rightful place of the one true God and put anything on the throne of your life besides God, that's idolatry. Even something as good, something as important as your children. So that's what I would ask the question to all of us today, to all of you today. Identify them. Name them. What are the false gods that you serve? What are the false gods that you put ahead of the one true God? And be honest. No one knows it except you. Be honest to yourself. What are some of the false gods that you have elevated and erected into the place of the one true God? The sin of idolatry. Sure, we're monotheistic in our beliefs, but our practices are often very polytheistic. So Elijah, the prophet, right? So he steps into this polytheistic culture, and here he is. Here is Elijah's prophetic message, his very strong statement. He looks at them as they're going back and forth, back and forth, and he says with all of the authority that God had given him, people, it's time to quit wavering. It's time 
Stop wavering. Go, stop going back and forth between the gods. We're going to have us a good old-fashioned showdown. Watch what he says here to the king in verse 19. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. We just got to pause for a moment right there and consider. That is one seriously big honking table, right? I just had to say it. It's a big table. Okay, verse 20. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Now here's where Elijah gets in the people's face. Verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long? How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. The people are hedging their bets. Better not make anyone mad here. And so Elijah says, how long will you do this? If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And I can guarantee you, if Elijah were here today, he'd say the same thing to me. He'd say the same thing to you. Quit wavering. Yeah. Well, God, I'd appreciate it if you could keep me out of hell, get me into heaven. That'd be sweet. But I still want to do whatever I want to do, and I will define what's right. If it's right for me, it's right. Oh, God, hear my prayer. Please bless me. But no, I have no intention of following any of your commands. I will decide what is right. Oh, God, I want all of your good things, and I don't want to stop any of my bad things. Quit wavering. Quit being a Christian on Sunday and a heathen on Monday. Quit claiming Christ and living like then you don't know Him. Don't keep using His name in vain. we got far too much of that in the world right now. Quit trying to claim the benefits and being unwilling to sacrifice. Quit trying to, to claim Him without following Him. This is not about being, uh, about being baptized. It's about why wouldn't you be baptized. The call is to obey, so do it. Follow Him. Just quit wavering. So what did Elijah do? He has a showdown. And he says, go ahead, go get two bulls. I want two bulls on this menu. Go order me one bull for me, one bull for you. We're going to build a couple of altars, and we're going to sacrifice these bulls. And we're going to call on your gods, Baal and Asherah. And then we're going to call on Yahweh, the God who delivered you out of Egypt. We're going to call on each, and then we'll see who is really God. So we pick up the story, see what happens here. This is how God had been leading Elijah. Verse 24, Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The one who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, What you say is good. And here's what they were thinking. <laughs> you dumb, dumb head. Don't you even know who you're dealing with? We're saying that we're going to call on Baal. Baal is the god of thunder and lightning. Silly prophet. You're going to get smoked. So 26, so they took the bull, given them, and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar that they had made. Baal, send fire. Nothing happened. 850 prophets, all of them giving it up for Baal. 
So I love this. I probably shouldn't, but I kind of do. Elijah starts messing with them. This is a man of God, and he, he's, he's going to mess with them. 27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. I don't think he can hear you. Surely he is a God. You know what? Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So if you read on through verses 28 to 35, what they do, they shout louder. They danced harder. They went crazy, like actually crazy. They started to cut themselves because that's what they did to honor their God. And they shouted all day long. Sadly, though, many of us, we don't dance for the false gods all day long, but many of us do it all lifetime long, our whole lifetime, dancing, praising, pursuing, serving, worshiping the false gods that promise but never deliver all lifetime long. So finally, get to the end of the day, and they, they danced, they danced, they cut themselves, they, uh, nothing happened. Elijah sets up. He uh, builds his altar, and he, and he has them, after it's all built, he has them soak it down big time. Three times he gets them to dump big jars of water on the altar, and the water uh, runs off and fills a trench surrounding the altar. The wood and the bull, it's all soaking wet. It's all just dripping. Verse 36, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. He didn't dance, didn't shout, didn't cut himself. He didn't do anything to get God's attention. He prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. 37, answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Can you see the power and the beauty in these statements? Answer me, O Lord. Reveal yourself. Show us who you are. Let us see you. Reveal yourself by fire. May we feel the heat of your love. Show us who you are and why. So that we'll be afraid, so that you'll judge us, so that you may turn the hearts of the people back again. Because they used to know you. They used to walk with you. They used to serve you. They used to worship you, but these other, these false gods have taken your place. Oh God, turn their hearts back again. And I think today God is trying to reveal himself to you. Why? So you can turn your heart back to him again. He, he's not approaching you in anger, but with grace and mercy. And there are those of you, that's well, that's why you're here. That's why you're listening. That's why you're watching right now because God has been working in you, preparing you for this moment. Why? So that you can turn your heart back to Him. Now, if you know anything about fire, fire is, fire is hot, right? Fire is hot. I grew up loving fire. I, I love watching. I love watching the fire dance, sitting close to it, feeling the, the warmth, so, so whoever is God, reveal, reveal yourself by fire. And he prays. Watch what happens. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Whoosh! Imagine that. 
just imagine this is like a lightning rod. A fire from heaven fell, and here's what happened. It burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and it also licked up the water in the trench. 39, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate, and they cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Yahweh is God. When you see the Lord in the Old Testament written in all capitals, it means Yahweh. It's His personal name. They will never write it down because it was too holy. They only write four letters. And in biblical studies, they call that the tetragrammaton. And it means the personal name of God, Yahweh. Whenever you see Lord with all capital letters, that's what it means. The people have seen and are now, now responding, Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. And that would be my prayer. I mean, my prayer for us at Into One, that we would so see Him and who He is, that all those false gods would far, far, fall, fall far away in comparison to the one true God, and our hearts would be turned back to Him, and we would say, the Lord, He is God. He is God. Now, I'll be honest, when I read this story before, I thought to myself, well, duh. I mean, you send a fireball from heaven, I'm impressed, right? If, if, if I said, God, if you're really there, would you burn this up? Burn this thing up, and then, and then whoosh! Okay, okay, you're God. I can't do that. You can do that. You're God. I can see that. But why didn't God do that today? Why didn't God do that right now? Why doesn't God show himself like that when I want him to? And then the same time, I'm thinking not just that God had told Elijah to do this, and I'm just asking for myself, but now I think that question, I, re I realized it's, it's so much infinitely more in a beautiful way just how God showed himself to us 2,000 years ago when he left heaven, not as a fireball, not a lightning bolt, but Jesus, God's own son, became one of us. He came, not in the power and the spectacle of the fire from heaven, but as a weak, vulnerable baby. He led a perfect and sinless life so that He could die for us on a cross and be raised again so that we could know Him. And when you do know Him through Christ, then all the false gods, they don't measure up and they just seem to fall away. That's why we go eyes up. So if Elijah were here right now, I think he'd say to us, quit wavering. If you know God for who he is, you will never be tempted to serve these false gods because the one true God is so much, so much greater. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would pierce us with that question and that we would be humbled. And in a spirit of repentance, we would dethrone all of the idols that have, uh, we've allowed to stand in the place where you deserve to be. Are you wavering? Do you have idols in your life? If, if that's you today, if you'd say quite honestly, yes, there are things in my life that are not giving honor to God, and I want to repent of the sin of idolatry. I didn't even know it was a thing that I was doing. I want to quit wavering. I want to serve you wholeheartedly. Just give him. Give, give, give that thing, whatever it is that you're seeing, give it a name. Give it a name and then right now say, God, I confess this to you. Forgive me. 
You can do it right now. You can do it privately and quietly. God, we, we humbly pray and ask that you would draw us to yourself. We commit to pursue you, to, to follow you, to trust you, and that when we know you, we would be broken of the sins of idolatry, that we would recognize that we don't have the ability to just overcome the sin of idolatry all by ourselves, God, but we ask that you would be so great. God, you revealed yourself by fire before. I pray that you would reveal yourself by the fire of the Holy Spirit, that you would become so real to us now that we would worship you and love you and serve you with all of our hearts and all of our minds, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Guide us forward, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.